Thank you for tuning in to the Living Hope Church podcast. This is a free resource given to you uh, for your benefit and for your faith to be grown in the Lord. So we encourage you, if you are a Living Hope Church member, to share this podcast, to share these sermons, if they have fueled your faith in any way. And if you are not a Living Hope Church member, we pray and encourage you to stay and remain faithful in a local body, a local church for the building of the body, and that this would only be a supplement for your faith. But we do pray that this encourages you in your faith, all for His glory and for His name's sake. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get into the sermon. We're in a series called Seeing Worship Clearly, and uh, we're covering seven Hebrew words that are translated most often as praise in the English. Now, there are things in those words that guided the worship service in the nation of Israel, but we just see the word praise. And so we're covering those words to take a look at the nuances in those different words that call us to certain postures, certain ways to approach the Lord in praise. Last week, we talked about the hands, right? This word yada, which means to extend the hands. And we, we learned that there were way, different ways that we could extend our hands, either out of desperation, reaching for God, crying out to him. There's also ways of just adoring him, just, just kind of reflecting, just telling him, you are worthy of everything, of the highest praise, the highest words that I can think of. Lord, you are worthy of that. And the word that we're going to be covering this morning is the word that implies kneeling. Now, maybe some of you who like to count things, maybe you've noticed that there was one uh, less row in these, and that's because we've, we've widened the aisles for this special morning uh, for kneeling. Now, don't worry if you if you're, um, have trouble getting up and down on these. Uh, I'll have a few words of that. But let me just, this word... This word that implies kneeling is called barak, and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll get to the meaning of it, but let me ask you this. When you think of kneeling, what comes to your mind? What are some things that come to your mind? Humble. What, what are some, what's that? Adoration. Adoration. Sure. Uh, do, do sore knees come up in your minds? Uh, so growing up, every time my mom would kind of squat down to go... Um, and not just bending that, but she would come down like this. I would hear her knees crack. And I just remember thinking, I just, it always sounded so painful. I mean, that's what comes up. I was thinking about this this past week. It's like, that's what I would think of when I think of kneeling, that somebody's getting down on their knees, and I just hear my mom's knees cracking. Well, there, there are other ideas that come with. Some of you mentioned that, uh, that these pictures represent. Kneeling uh, also implies this, this idea that, uh, to kneel before something uh, to submit to something. And it's always with the idea that the lesser is bowing or kneeling before the greater, whether it's with authority or something like that. You see the coronation of kings of old, uh, that always it was the, um, the highest, the bishop, the, the highest person of representative of the church, uh, because, of course, he was the representative of God, and there's nobody higher than God. And he would be the one to, kneel, to crown the king. And the king would crown, uh, would be kneeling as if kneeling before God. And then you have these uh, knighting ceremonies, right, which we don't do in this country. But in other countries, they do. And uh, there's the, 
picture there of, uh, was it Prince William, I think. If I, hope I, I hope I get the names right. Um, uh, he is actually knighting somebody. And of course, you see the person being knighted is kneeling. He's taking a posture of, uh, of, of uh, humbleness, of going before someone and getting knighted. And just so you know, that picture is of Ringo Starr, a uh, member of the Beatles, who's getting knighted. Um, but this is this idea of kneeling. The idea of submission is very foreign to our culture today. And so if you're here this morning and do not identify as a follower of Jesus, let me just share a few words of explanation so that you have an idea of what we're doing here as we're talking about kneeling. Because the Christian story says that there is somebody worth kneeling to. Let me contrast it with the story of evolution, the story of our culture. The story of evolution says that all living things were unintended by physical processes over time. And as such, mankind is nothing more than an advanced animal, and there's only this life to live. So when some human beings begin to honor and worship things like God, they're making it up. I mean, this is what evolution says. There's nothing beyond the natural world. And so when we as humans simply bow to things, kneel before things, giving them greater worth than what is actually there, we are making it up. That's simply what follows from the story of evolution. One's spirituality is simply made up. It's one's choice. Because there is no truth in that matter. And Christians, as you can guess, we do not live by that story. The story we live by is very different. It is one that says that there is a God who made heaven and earth. He made mankind as a special kind of creature, specially made. One that, could, that he could have relationship with. And in revealing himself to man, one thing that is clear is that God is worthy of worship. He's worthy. It is a rational thing in the Christian story. It's a rational thing to bow, to kneel before the Lord, because he is our maker. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It is worthy. It is, it's a rational thing to do, to, to kneel or to bow. He is worthy of us putting our whole attention on him, giving him thanks for what he has done, offering words of honor and highest praise. We hold that Jesus is the hero of history, the Son of God who, is, who, uh, who also is worthy of worship. God gave us an example in the nation of Israel of how worship may be expressed. And again, we get an idea of how these ideas of worship is expressed through these seven words. And again, the, sev- the second one, which is often translated as praise, means to, to kneel, to adore, to give thanks. And this is word Barak. Now, I know that probably conjures up a former president. And just so you know, we're not, we're not going to make much of him. All right? It uh, doesn't matter who it would be. We're not going to make much of any mere man uh, this morning. Uh, but just know that, uh, you know, one thing you might want to practice, and whenever you hear his name, just think of it as praise. It's the call to praise the Lord. Not him, not any man, but to praise the Lord. Okay, Barak. Barak, Barak. And this is the word we're going to kind of enter into worship. Now, we're going to, the reason why we've made these aisles this way is because we did some practicing last week. You know, these words call us to motion, to make movement of our body in positions of praise. Um, If you have trouble getting to your knees, don't kneel, please. You have the permission 
to not kneel. <laughs> okay, this is a hard four, I get that. But we also have made space in the aisles for you to kind of, if, to practice Barak, to go forward as if you're bowing. Okay, again, we're, we're practicing these positions of praise because our bodies and souls are one. And so when we move our bodies in certain ways, it helps our hearts to worship the Lord in that way. So we're practicing. It requires movement. And so we've, had, we've tried to make space this morning for you to practice bowing or kneeling before the Lord. This word Barak, David uses to kind of frame Psalm 103. And so consider this time as just a, a, an extended journey through Psalm 103. So let me read the first portion of it, and then we'll begin our singing this morning. David writes, Barak the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Barak his holy name. Barak the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Notice the change there. Redeems your life from the pit and takes you to the highest position by crowning us with his mercy and steadfast love. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father in heaven, we barak before you. Would you teach us about this word barak? Would you help us in the freedom that Christ brings to just simply come before you and to meet with you? Whatever's going on in our hearts and minds, we ask that you help us to set those things aside and just meet with you. Whether if this, what we practice feels new or different, help us just to look to you through it all and to barack you this morning for you are worthy you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen. That chorus always gets me. Just causes me to elevate my, my eyes, the eyes of my heart, to who God is. He's so good to us. So kneeling is not just used to express praise and adoration, but it's also a way that we plead. Right, that we bring requests before God, and so just that cartoon just uh, really expresses it. Right, you type in "plead," and it's not unusual to find images on Google that have people kneeling, and that's because kneeling not only expresses praise but also expresses pleading, desperation. So let me ask you this: What would you do if, over the news today, you saw our government pass a law restricting all forms of prayer? from all religions, so not just Christianity, but all forms of prayer, what, what would that do to you? Would you be like, oh boy, what's going on here? Would it, would it bring you to your knees in pleading God to move the hearts of our leaders to change? Would that do that? Yeah, yeah. You know, there are several examples in Scripture of people pleading, crying out to God, and thus taking a posture of being on your knees before the Lord. And so we're going to take a look at those as we look at kneeling to plead before the Lord.
So if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open to Daniel chapter 6. So we're going to look at two examples from the Old Testament, one example from the New. People who fell to their knees to plead and cry out to God. So while you're turning to Daniel chapter 6, if you kind of go to the middle of your Bible, you'll probably most likely get into Psalms, and then turn to the right. And then you'll have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. So again, some of the, the backdrop, the historical backdrop here uh, for Daniel chapter 6 is that um, Daniel was one of um, the leaders of Israel who was taken by the Babylonians and removed, taken out of the land and taken to Babylon. And there they uh, were stuck there. He was trained uh, to, be, to serve in the king's court. And many of you have heard the uh, Daniel, Den of Lions. Uh, this comes from Daniel chapter 6. Uh, because Daniel had a practice uh, of praying to the Lord and his uh, other leader, appointed leaders to serve in the king's court did not like it that he did this. So, so that's part of the backdrop. Okay, let me read. Um, Daniel was set over portions of the kingdom. Uh, my translation calls them presidents. Uh, so just know it's a, an appointed leader under the king, all right? Daniel was one of three presidents who were set over the whole kingdom of Babylon, uh, to whom these leaders under them, called satraps, were, uh, should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, all the other leaders that the king had appointed. He kind of rises to the top, so to speak, um, because an excellent spirit was in him. The Lord had anointed him and given him, had blessed him in his role. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Okay, so the king is about to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. Okay, forget these other two presidents and all the leaders. Daniel's going to be on top. Now notice, they know who he is. He is somebody that was brought over from the nation of Israel that Babylon had conquered. They brought him over and the king's about to point him from this tiny little weak nation that they... Babylon conquered to set over the whole kingdom of Babylon. Now, if you were maybe somebody who had been in the court for a long time, you'd be like, whoa, wait a second here, buddy. Why, why are you moving up and I'm not? I've been here longer. So notice, just, just notice how jealousy can easily enter into somebody's heart uh, when you're in that situation. All right, then the presidents and the, so the other guys sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 6, Then these presidents, uh, they, they bring before uh, the king this law that says that uh, if any man, if any person uh, bows before their own God instead of the king, uh, let them be thrown into a den of lions. And the king was like, Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Um, you know, that really unifies the country and worshiping me, that'd be great. So he passes the law. And this is Daniel's response when he heard that. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had opened windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. 
He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. That just simply means that David had a practice of facing towards Jerusalem, the place that God said, this is where I want my name to dwell. And he prayed on his knees three times a day for the Lord. And that is his response when he hears that this sign, or in our language, this bill, became a law. He pleads towards God. So that's Daniel. All right, now, if you would turn to Ezra. Ezra is before Psalms. Ezra chapter 9. So, recall that Daniel is in Babylon. He has been taken out of Israel because Babylon, God used Babylon to come judge his people because they had turned away from him, uh, removes his people from the land. Daniel's in Babylon. And then seven, after 70 years, God said he would bring his people back to the land. And Ezra plays a part in those 70 years completion and the people being returned to the land. Okay, so that's the context here. They come to a crumbling city. Nehemiah, you may know, was, um, was one of his buddies. Nehemiah helped rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, um, which was a significant moment. Ezra was there as a scribe and to help guide the people. Think of him as, as the pastor coming in, helping guide them into following the ways of the Lord that they had forgotten in being, while being in exile. All right, so chapter 9. One of the things that Ezra points out that breaks his heart is that uh, God had, had told his people not to mix and mingle in marriage with the nations around them. Why? Because those nations worshipped other gods. And that's exactly what happened when Israel mixed and mingled in that way. Israel turned away from God. And God didn't want that to happen. He wants relationship with his people. And so upon returning, Ezra comes in and he knows the, he knows the law and he, the people come forward and say, uh, they have been, the leaders have been mixing with marriage of the people around them. Okay, so this, this is chapter 9. After these things have been done, the officials approached me, Ezra, and said, I'm reading in verse 1, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, and he mentions a, a number of people groups there. For verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the people of the lands. Verse 3, this is Ezra's response to this report. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord. And then it goes on to record what he pleads God for. He sees the state of his people, the people that he loves, how they turned away, and he wants to bring them back. So he cries, he falls to his knees, and he cries out to God. Our third example is the Apostle Paul from the New Testament. And so if, uh, 
If you'd like to, it's a shorter passage, but Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, definitely the first two, they fall to their knees pleading God out of a drastic situation that's come up, whether it's faithlessness to God's ways that they were called to, they made a covenant with God to do, but yet they were turning away from that, or a law that had been passed that uh, restricted, um, would, would punish capitally against anybody who bowed before any other God. Paul, though, is pleading for the people that he loves in the church that is in Ephesus. And so chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 14 through 16. Verse 3, 14 through 16. So Paul's just finished talking about the mystery of the gospel revealed in Christ. And he says, of this gospel, I'm reading verse 7, just leading up to this point to our passage. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me to by the working of his power. Skipping ahead to verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, because he's in jail in this time, which is your glory. So Paul responds, this is where I'm at now. Here's my prayer to you. For this reason, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice that according to the riches of us, no, according to the riches of his glory. So he's on his knees. He knows who he's talking to. And it's on his basis, on his loving kindness, on his steadfast love, on the, on the riches of his mercy and grace, he prays accordingly so that the Ephesians experience God's safety, joy, and strength in their situation. But notice, he's on his knees. And so being on our knees expresses something, right? When, when our hearts just crumble. Sometimes the only expression is just to fall on your knees and just go down. I recall that, um, and I've, I think I've shared this before. I'm starting to lose track of which stories I share. But anyways, there was a very poignant moment in my life. Um, it was, uh, we had left a very secure 15-year, 16-year position as missionaries. Uh, our support, we, our needs were met, all that stuff. And we really sensed the Lord calling us in a new direction. And we thought because he had made that so clear that he would uh, quickly uh, replace that income. And he did not. And it was um, probably nine months. So, um, so our tax return had started to, to run out. We had pretty much emptied all of our savings. And our checking account was starting to dwindle. And I had just interviewed for a job the night before that I felt pretty, pretty good about. Um, sorry, it was a few nights before. The night, that night, I talked and heard the answer, the response, and that was a no. 
Um, they were going to move on to other candidates for this uh, pastor position. And I was just in a place of desperation. So I got home, um, and I had the call on the way home, and uh, just doing whatever I could to hold it together uh, without tearing up so I wouldn't, wouldn't run off the road. And uh, the girl, most of the, girl, but the girls were in bed. Uh, I think Deb was watching something on TV, and I kind of just said hi to her, and I just made my way upstairs. And I just got on the floor on my knees, and I just poured out my heart to the Lord. In fact, I, um, I'm remembering the emotion that I felt right now, just that crying out to him. And, you know, God can handle when we plead with him, when we just lay bare our heart. Like This is where I'm at. God, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? He can take it. He wants us to come in the honesty of our hearts. And if that means getting down on our knees and crying out to him, he's happy about that. Meaning he's well, he's, he wants us to come as we are and to plead. He welcomes us to do that. And so we're going to spend some time. We're going to um, spend some time. Just give you space. All right, because our busy American lives, they don't really offer space for really approaching the Lord, right? It's one thing to the next. Oh, what's next? Oh, meal, okay. Oh, got to get the kids to bed. Oh, got to get ready for work tomorrow. It's one thing after another. We live in a busy culture. And so that's why this is, this, because this is a worship service, we want to make space. That's why we've given space in the aisles. If you want to kneel, if there's something on your heart that you want to plead before the Lord, we're going to have a space, a time, and prayer for that. Um, but first, before we get to that, we're going to have uh, one. Let me read from Psalm 103. Again, we're walking through the Psalm 103 just to set the mood, okay, to set the tone. And as I read this, this portion of Psalm 103, David is just talking about how good God is. And so in the midst of our pleading, I just want to make the connection with your heart of who God is, who it is that we approach, and how loving he is. If there's Again, if there's something that you're just crying out to him. So listen, this is a longer portion from the psalm, verses 6 through 14. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high, here's how God has dealt with them, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. 